Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. It's good to be seen by you. Praise God. So, last week, we started um, a look at ecclesiology, the church, part one, and looked at the church in terms of what is the church and what makes the church the church. And we considered the fact that there were seven marks um, that really served to identify the attributes of a healthy church, universal and local. And so we talked about the fact that the church is one universal church. It's a holy church. It is a church that is subject and under the doctrine of the apostles. It is a church that must be marked by the preaching of the word, the practice of the sacraments or ordinances, being baptism and communion. It is a church that should have leadership in order to be marked as a healthy church and also such that it exercises church discipline as and when necessary. And so we're going to continue giving consideration today and um, further consideration to the church and um, our place in it. Let me pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your love. We thank you, Father, that from the beginning of time, Lord, you made it clear that you would have a people for yourself. And so we see in you creating man, despite the fact that you didn't need to, creating man in your image and your likeness, creating humanity, man and woman. Lord, you purpose to have a people with whom you would have a relationship and through whom you would glorify yourself in community. You created man, but you never left him alone. You created a woman to be by his side, that they would be a team, partners in the endeavor of glorifying you as they enjoyed your goodness. And Lord, this is true throughout the ages that you would have a people, Lord, who are yours, set apart unto yourself for you, a people who would enjoy you and would glorify you in the process, Lord. And so we thank you for that privilege, Lord, today. And um, Lord, I do pray mindful of those who have yet to come into that relationship with you, Lord, that they would do, and that they would come into that relationship and also Develop healthy lives as disciples, Lord. Healthy lives as Christians. And so bless our time in your word, I pray. For the glory of Christ and through his name we pray, amen. So I had a conversation with someone. And they said to me, look, you know what, I'm having a bit of a problem. I have a friend and, you know, we're getting along very well. And when we're in fellowship, everything seems fine, but then 
she starts to kind of bring up the M word. When we're in company of others, she will bring up the M word. And to be honest, I have a big problem with that. I have such a problem that I can't even say the word. So you'll just allow me to say the M word. Because I know you know what I'm saying, right? And so I said, well, what's the problem? Like, why have you got such a problem? Well, when I look at my parents' experience, it just completely puts me off. When I look at the experience of others, it just completely completely puts me off. And I just feel in a place where, you know what? I don't, furthermore, I don't even see in the Bible where it has to be like that. I don't see in the Bible where it tells us the process by which we're supposed to enter into this relationship defined by the M word. I mean, as far as I can, I can see, the Bible says that, you know, we're supposed to, if, if we want to join in relationship in that way, we're supposed to, you know, recognize that, come together. But as far as I'm concerned, if I have a conviction in my heart and I make a personal commitment and, you know, whoever else makes their personal commitment, then that's enough. I don't see anywhere it says we have to sign any papers. I don't see anywhere where it says that we have to do this, that, or the other. Now, Listening to that conversation, what do you think the M word is for those who don't already know? Marriage, right? I mean, how often have we heard it said that, you know what, you don't have to, look, as long as you commit to one another, then that's good enough. Who says you have to go through any processes? I mean, where's the process in the Bible? Hmm. Well, the point is that the M word isn't marriage. It's membership. It's membership. And you see, membership, church membership, just like marriage, doesn't have any defined processes, but just like marriage, the principles of scripture dictate that it's a reality that ought to exist in the life of God's people as we walk in relationship with one another. You see, you might look at the Bible with regards to marriage and say, well, I don't see any defined processes. I don't see any processes that's explicitly stated that this is how you get married, but we do see principles principles that undergird and inform the various cultural expressions that marriage may take. Marriage may take various cultural expressions, but there are certain principles, biblical principles, by which and only by which it is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, I'll mention a few, but my issue today isn't marriage. So, the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So somebody making a personal commitment to live with another person, and then making a personal commitment, actually is not satisfactory in the sight of God. But that commitment has to be made publicly. 
publicly because, you know what? And if they're Christians, before the church. So that two things, at least two things can happen. One, that couple can be supported as they endeavor to maintain their commitment. And two, they can be held accountable for when things go south. Important. Romans 13 says, obey the law of the land. So what does our culture dictate that is a necessary process through which we go through in order to be married? So you begin to understand that although there aren't specific processes that are broken down, there are principles that help govern our practice. Amen? Amen. Likewise, with church membership, as you'll see today, there are principles that ought to govern our practice and the way we view membership. Now, it's kind of tricky because we live in a culture where people don't want commitment. I mean, you go to a job in retail right about now, and they're going to write you a zero-hour contract. They're not even committing to how many hours they're going to give you. And so from week to week, they can kind of tell you and make up what hours they want to give you because they're not tying themselves down to no kind of commitment. I mean, it's been a long time since pay-as-you-go contracts become popular, right? Sims are disposable. They'll give them to you for free nowadays. And yet, the unfortunate thing is that disposable view of relationships, that disposable view of commitment is something that has been embraced by the church. So when people talk about worldliness coming into the church, that's one of the ways in which worldliness has come into the church in that the world's attitude and perspective has begun to influence and affect our thinking. But not so, according to the scripture. You see, through the principles of Scripture, as we'll recognize, we'll see that, you know what? Membership is biblical. And it's my endeavor to demonstrate how church membership gloriously reflects the gospel and glorifies Jesus before a lost world. The reality is that if you're not a member of a local church, then you are a dysfunctional Christian. Now, sometimes we go to the doctors and they tell us stuff that we don't want to hear, right? I was speaking to a brother last week. He said, I went to the doctor once. The doctor was hard with me. I said, doctor, like, why are you, why are you going on so... Well, you know what? It's better that I tell you and I tell you straight so you know what the issue is and you know what to do about it. Hard talk. If you're not a member of a local church, you are a dysfunctional Christian. God has purposed that his people, the church, be a bonded, committed, inter interdependent community. The church is not a social club. It's not like supporting a football team. You don't even have to join a fan club to support a football team. You can buy the shirt if you feel like it, or you don't have to. You don't even have to watch the games. But you just kind of make that personal commitment within your heart. Well, you know what, that's my team, for whatever reason. So Arsenal's my team. 
Now, who would, who would, what would possess a person to support Arsenal? But people have their reasons, innit? Some people say, well, it's a local team. It's a London team, all you fake Man United fans. Have you ever been to a match? People have their reasons for making those types of commitments, but there's no demand on the football fan. There's no requirements, there's no expectations, there's no accountability, there's nothing. It's a matter of preference. But the church isn't that. The church isn't a fan club, it's not a supporters club, it's not a voluntary organization. The church isn't a service provider or merely an, an association of like-minded individuals. The church is a new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen? So, there were four points that we mentioned last week, and our consideration was rooted in Ephesians 4.16 for those who weren't here. It was rooted in Ephesians 4.16. I'll read 15 as well. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, the source, the point of origin, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So Paul is presenting to us, in the midst of his talk about the universal church, the picture of the local church, individuals being joined and knitted together in healthy relationship such that it results in growth. If we're staying the same, something's wrong. It's a sign of dysfunction. And so what does it mean to be working properly? to be knitted together, fitted together. Well, in this we see a principle that Christian relationship, relationship within the Christian community is supposed to be committed and bonded. It is supposed to be mutually beneficial and mutually dependent. This is outworked practically by the implementation of four of the things that we considered last time. So leadership, the preach word, the sacraments, and church discipline. And in the life of a disciple, these things can only practically work effectively where there is a defined, committed membership. Leaders, in Acts 20:28, 20, are told to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So there's a universal sheep, there's sheep all over the world, but who's your flock leaders? 1 Peter 5, verse 2, Peter says to the under-shepherds, under Christ who is the chief shepherd, people say, you've got three pastors, who's the senior pastor? People ask us that all the time to this day. It's been 10 years. 
who's the senior pastor? You're the senior pastor, right? Like, no. You know what? Where three of us are a team of elders, as pastors, six of us in, in total, and the senior pastor is Jesus. The Bible says he's the chief shepherd. Peter says in verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, speaking to the leaders. Shepherd the flock. So God's universal sheep, the sheep all over the globe are to gather in flocks together. Likewise, we see the word to the sheep. Hebrews 13, 17 Sorry, in Hebrews 13, three times the writer uses this phrase, your leaders. Three times in the one chapter, the writer of Hebrews uses this term, your leaders. In verse 7, remember your leaders. In verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. In verse 24, greet all your leaders. So who are your leaders if you are not in a committed defined relationship with a local church. Who's your leaders? Whoever you happen to be with at the time? So we see principles in Scripture, both to the leader and to the disciple, that says you need to know who you're, who you're with. You need to know, as leaders, who you're responsible for. In, in Acts 20, 28, it says, listen... These people, the church, regardless of what you think of them, they're precious in the sight of God. They were purchased by the blood of Christ. Don't play with them. Don't play with them. And we feel the weight of that. And we want to know who we're responsible for. Just like you need to know who you're accountable to. Because they say that a, a, a creature with many heads is a monster. And it will become very oppressive and very distressing and very confusing if you have many leaders to whom you make yourself accountable. Particularly when they don't really know you because you're only there five minutes. So... In Ephesians, we see the Apostle Paul give six metaphors. There are more, but six clear metaphors, one in each chapter, that communicate the nature of the church, what the church is like. Yeah? So in chapter 1, he speaks of adoption in verse 5, and we see that as a family term, the church is a family. But the church is more than a family. The church in, in chapter 2 is a holy house, a temple. But the church is more than a temple. It's more than a holy house. As the church, we are heirs. We are joint heirs in chapter 3, verse 6. So we're inheritors jointly together. In chapter 4, verse 16, as we've been looking, we're a body and in chapter 5, we're a bride. 
In chapter 6, we're what? Ephesians chapter 6. Anyone know what that's all about? We're, we're soldiers. We're an army. So when you see us getting milly, you know that's army mode. Someone said to me last week, you look like you're in the army. I said, it's a, it's a war out here against the elements. <laughs> but we're all of those things. We're not just one of those things. All of those things we are like, and yet still we're even more than that. All of those examples are relational in their nature and have at the heart of them commitment as a central dynamic. Family, a holy house, joint heirs, being a body, a bride, an army. That's easy to see, right? And so even within the culture that he was in, within a culture didn't, that didn't need no explicit membership processes to be broken down, because that was just like saying, you know what? If you're going to the supermarket, remember to take a bag. It's like, you're going to need a bag. Whether you take one or you buy one, you're going to need it. Do you need, does that actually need to be discussed? Them being in a, in a, in a culture where Consider this as Jews. When you look through the Old Testament, right, and you get to all of those passages that you want to just skip over, you know the ones with all the names? Think about why they're there. Names upon names. Old Testament, they call them holy dots. They have a purpose. They have a reason. And part of that was to identify who's in and who's not. Who's your daddy? <laughs> and so in the culture, you look in, the, in the, um, the culture of the Roman Empire, they would have a census every so often. We saw that in the time of Christ. The people had to be accounted for. Under Caesar, it was a very organized and regimented regime where everyone had to be present and accounted for. So in even the non-Jewish culture, the Gentile culture, knew what it meant to be accounted as part of a people. We see the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He's a Jew, and they're trying to rush him, and he says, well, I'm a Roman citizen. <laughs> Draw breaks. Whoa, how comes you lot never said, we almost got ourselves killed trying to rush a Roman citizen? He knew what it meant to be identified as a part of a people. And so there is no place in the scripture for this casual, friends with benefits attitude towards church. In both senses, metaphorically and literally. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> or me. <laughs> Whichever you choose. Now in Ephesians 4.16, it uses a phrase it says, from whom the whole body joined and held together. Joined and held together. That's a specific phrase, a unique phrase, that is only used one other time in the New Testament. And that's in Ephesians chapter 2.
In Ephesians chapter 2, reading from verse 18, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Similar type of sentiment being communicated in chapter 2 as to the verse we're looking at in chapter 4. And the unique thing is this. Although some people look at that and say, well, yeah, we're members of the household of God, the church universal, so we can kind of just roam and go about to and fro as we please. Actually, this phrase, joined together, narrows in on the place of the individual in personal committed relationship with other individuals. It, the picture that this phrase gives us from the original is like, if any of you are familiar with joinery, you see that, that, that joiners can do tremendous, thing, tremendous things with wood. And often they will do a thing what they call tongue and groove. Now I'm speaking like I'm some kind of expert carpenter. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm just surmising with you if that's all right. Tongue and groove. And the idea is that they, 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 they have the, the, the pieces of wood shaped and carved in such a way where they interlock together. So it might be the chair joint, and you'll find that there's actually no screws involved. There might be some glue involved, but by its very design, it's designed to interlock together and be, and be solid and be connected. And that's what this phrase joined and held together, fitted and framed together. That's what it means. It means that we are connected in a solid relationship with other Christians who are, other individuals who are Christians. And this, this joining together and this placing together is done by God. And we see this communicated in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God arranged. So, we see that membership, church membership by principle, is biblically mandated. And it is an expectation that God has of his children that we would be committed in relationship one with another. Now, we see this also communicated uh, more times than I've cared to count, but I'm going to go through them, in the imperative one another statements that the Apostle Paul makes. 
If you go onto a, a Bible website or you go onto your Bible software, if you've got one on your, on your computer, and you do a search on the phrase one another, you will see a multitude of incidences where this phrase occurs. Paul uses it excessively. And I, and I want to go through them to highlight to you the necessity and the benefit and the blessing of us being in committed relationship one with another. Because it truly is glorious. So, in Romans 12.5, I'm going to just breeze through this, trusting that you know how to use a computer. <laughs> Romans 12.5, so, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We need each other. That's been thrown away. Let's get it back now. Verse 10 of chapter 12. Love one another with brotherly affection. Now you might think that's enough. That's all that needs to be said, right? Just love one another. This is just the beginning. Same verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. Oh. Live in harmony with one another. In verse 16. Chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Speaking of those non-essential issues. Oh, so my man, I see him with a little glass of wine, you know. That's not righteous. <laughs> Brother's not serious. Call himself a Christian. After exercise, I'm church discipline. No. Minor issues. Romans 15, verse 5. Live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. 15.7. Therefore, welcome one another. Sorry, I'm getting excited. I'm going to blow up the speakers. <laughs> welcome one another. It sounds simple, right? But how often have we heard people come and say, well, you know what? I kind of come to the church and I've been there coming a few weeks and I just kind of feel like nobody really kind of notices that I'm even here. It's like, things look kind of loving, but people love people that they already know. Now, that's a paraphrase of numerous times that that's been quoted to me. People are not welcoming. The Bible says, welcome one another. 15, 14, it says that we are to instruct one another. You can't tell me nothing. What do you mean? Fam, we are our brother's keeper. I love you. I'm committed to you. And so let me just share in it. And then you take it on and you bring it before the Lord. But we're to instruct one another. 16, 16. Don't just greet one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Notice. Side hug. So we do. Yeah? Holy. Greet one another with a holy kiss. In fact, in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Christian husbands and wives are not to deprive one another of physical intimacy. Now, I know certain might want to say amen. It's okay. We keep it moving. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 11. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 12. 
25 says we are to care for one another. Boy, I haven't seen my sister for a few weeks, you know. Let me just give her a bill. Let me send her a text. Let me see how she's doing. This time, my lady could be at home, no money, no car, no help, hungry. And you think it's joke. These things literally happen. Am I lying, Mark? I haven't even got credit to text out. Care for one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. 13, 12. Oh, I said that one. Greet one another with a holy kiss. He said that one twice. Galatians 5, 13. But through love, serve one another. Now, this is for all of us, you know. This isn't just for leaders. Or, this stuff that I'm reading is just basic Christianity. GCSE level. Basic. For all of us. Through love, serve one another. 6-2. Bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4-2. Bearing with one another in love, or forbearing, or tolerating one another in love. Sometimes we need to be reminded of that because people will really just put us off. 425, speak the truth to one another, for we are members one of another. 432, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. As God in Christ forgave you. In 519, it says that we're to sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In 521, it says that we're to submit to one another. In Colossians 3.16, it says that we're to teach and admonish one another. In all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. In 1 Thessalonians 3.12, Paul ups the ante, ups the levels. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. So don't just love one another. Increase in your love for one another. Abound in your love for one another. 5.11 this is one of the first lyrics that I ever heard Pastor Rob write. First Thessalonians 5 verse 11. Lift up, strengthen, and encourage in the brethren. That's ancient from back in the day. Scripture set the bars right there. Encourage one another and build one another up. 5 verse 11. 515. Do good to one another. Hebrews 3, 13, exhort one another. 10, 24, stir up one another to love and good works. 10, 25, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. This is, you see how relentless this is. How does this work within the, 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 the picture of casual relationships? 
James 4.11, don't speak evil against one another. 5.9, don't grumble against one another. Furthermore, in 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Peter gets in on the act. 1 Peter 1.22, love one another, but don't just love one another, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Not just for what you can get out of the relationship. Not just because you can be benefited. With a pure heart. And then in 4.8, in 1 Peter, Peter says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Why? Since love covers a multitude of sins. 4.9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Four ten, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. In five five, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And so we see a whole range of commands. They're not suggestions. They're commands. That's why they call them imperative. It is imperative that we do them. That the Lord has given to us that help to inform the nature of our relationship. And you notice that actually it's not in any way a self-centered relationship. It's not to be that. It's one that is sacrificial. It's one that is surrendered. Now, there are a number of negatives that we're told to refrain from in regards to how we relate to one another. And I'll leave you to look those up. But consider this. In 1 John, the Apostle John known as the apostle of love. He comes and he kind of summarizes the matter. And five times in this one short epistle, he says, love one another. There's five chapters in John. Five times he reiterates this point. Love one another. And all of those one another's that I've gone through and the others that I haven't can be summed up in that statement. Thank the Lord that in his wisdom, he's unpacked what that statement means practically because some of us need help like that. Application. People crying for application. Well, we've got it right there. But he sums it up and he says, In 3 verse 11, this is 1 John. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. In 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. 4.7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves 
has been born of God and knows God. 4.11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You can hear this brother pouring out his heart, right? Pleading with the people, pleading with us. Love one another. And in 4.12, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, if you're not there, just go into 1 John chapter 4, if you would. Because I want to bring this home by clarifying how church membership truly and gloriously exhibits the gospel. It reflects the gospel and glorifies Jesus before a lost world. So 1 John 4, yeah? I'm going to read from verse 7 to the end. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. For no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us. He abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, 
whoever loves God must also, must also love his brother. Consider this. God has committed himself to love us who are not like him. We are not good. We are not even right. Now you might think that I just said the same thing twice. We're not good and we're not right. I'm not. I'm not saying the same thing twice. They're two different things. We are not good and we're not right. And yet God, who is perfect, who is good, who is right, who is love, has committed himself to love you. He doesn't have to. God is very satisfied in intra-Trinitarian love. And yet, he welcomes us into fellowship. Fellowship with the Godhead, as John says in chapter 1. Why would God do that? What does he stand to gain or benefit from us being in relationship with him? God lacks nothing. He needs nothing or he wouldn't be God. And yet he brings us into relationship with himself who are not like him. And you see, as we commit to one another and as we covenant with one another in church membership, we're reflecting that same love. We don't pick and choose who God has in the body. He does. But we're commanded to love each other. Even if we don't like each other. Even if we don't like the same things. Even if I don't like the way you look or I don't like your heritage or your nationality or your, your background or the music you listen to or the car you drive or the clothes you wear or the job you do. None of that matters. We love one another because we're in Christ and we know that we're loved by God. And that is the basis upon which we love one another and that we commit to one another. And as we commit to one another before a fallen world, they look at this ragtag mess of a people and are like, yo, how is it that they are committed to one another in the way that they are? And it's such a mixed bag. I'm not even chatting Harry Bowl. Like, you know, just some, this, this, Mixed bag of people, and yet they're committed to one another and they love one another. Wow, they've really got something. What is it that we have? We have that love from God that is committed to us, even though we're undeserving and we have nothing by way of appeal to Him. And this is one of the wonders of the church that God puts us into committed relationship with others that are not like us, people that we may not think are good, people that we may not think are right, because we always see ourselves as right, right? Our point of view is always right, right? And there's a difference over disagreement, but my point of view is right, right? Right. And yet, the blessing and the harmony of the church, the blessing of the unity of the church as we are committed to one another, not casually associated with one another, 
like football fans who kind of see each other on the terraces maybe sometimes. And if they're not there, who cares? And if they're there, yeah, cool, put your shirt on, let's, let's wave our flag together, wave our scarf together. Ain't them kind of casual associations that God has purpose. And so the only way that all of those one another's and the real way in which God is supremely glorified and the gospel is adorned is as we commit to one another in covenant membership, covenant relationship with one another. Now, the way that looks in different places may be different. So, we used to have a situation where we had an informal kind of, an, an, an informal, undefined process of membership. There was this kind of thing, well, you kind of be around for six months and we'll see how you go and then, yeah, amen, we'll start to maybe give you some responsibility, maybe not, uh, who knows? I mean, you'd have people come and say, you know what, I really want this to be my church. Yeah, I feel like this is where the Lord wants me. If I had a pound for every person over the last 10 years that have said that to me and that I'm not here now, I would be driving a different car. <laughs> now, I wouldn't be a millionaire. I'd be a millionaire. No, I wouldn't be a millionaire, but I would be driving a different car if I had a pound for every person who's ever said that to me. So, just making this personal commitment in our heart which means whatever it means to us, and we don't know what it means to each other in this unclear, undefined, ambiguous way, doesn't help us to fulfill our commitment to what God has called us to in all these one another's. It doesn't help us. It doesn't help leaders to know who they're responsible for and who they will give an account for before Jesus. It doesn't help you to know how you're able to fit in and in a supported fashion and in a fashion that is such that it causes you to be accountable to the leadership, as the scripture states, to be able to contribute and serve one another in love. And so we see in our culture, it's common and beneficial to have some kind of definition so that everybody knows where they stand. Everybody knows what we're, we're up for, what we're committed to. And it helps our growth. Let's not lose sight of 416. That as we're knitted together, every joint supplying what it's supposed to, the, the body working properly, that there's growth. And so I say again, the top three reasons, sorry, I say again, I'll come on to the top three reasons in a minute. If, as a Christian, we are not in committed relationship by way of church membership, then we're dysfunctional as a Christian. We're not evidently in submission to leadership. We're not in a place where expectations can be made of us. This is, these are the things that can contribute to a healthy church. Now, the top three reasons. I'm going to give you two sets of top three reasons. The top three reasons 
why people don't commit to membership. First one, fear. And these may not be what you expect them to be. Fear. Fear because of past hurts. So I have a friend who recently got married, and as they were, you know, knowing that the proposal was kind of coming their way, we had a chat just about her parents' relationship. And they divorced. She was an adult when they divorced, but it still decimated her. And yet, she knew she had to work through the fear that she had regarding marriage that stemmed from the hurt she felt from her parents' divorce. And she had to arrive at that place where she realized, look, you know what? Ultimately, because my parents divorced and it hurt so much, that doesn't make marriage bad. Because I know God and I know he invented it. And so she then learned to, okay, you know what? I'll put my trust in the Lord and not in the outcome of my parents' relationship. And she had to allow the Lord to work with her and deal with those fears and calm the fears. Because as we read in chapter four, you know what? Where there's fear, love hasn't been perfected. Where there's fear, love hasn't been perfected. There's a lack of trust in God's perfect love. And in anyone who's going to give themselves in membership to a local church, ultimately you're giving yourself to the Lord. Secondly, ignorance. It's not necessary. Really? I mean, I'm part of the church, universal, ain't I? I can fellowship with Christians anywhere. And so it's just a lack of understanding of all the things that we've just discussed. Third reason, pride. I don't need anyone. Me and God's cool. I've got a good list of podcasts. I pray often. I even do outreach by myself. <laughs> Some might even be like, yeah, I'm in music ministry. Oi. Ouch. I don't need anyone because I'm rolling with Jesus. Well, that's pride. It's an easy way to avoid accountability. It's an easy way to avoid responsibility. It's an easy way to just foster our own weaknesses and flaws and feel that we're cool and never be challenged. Top three reasons to commit to membership? You have to. It's number one. It's quite straightforward. God expects you to. Number two, because you're needed. The body needs what you have. It is entirely selfish not to commit. Three, you need the body. Others have a contribution to make to your growth and to aid you in your mandate as a disciple maker. And all of us are called to be disciple makers. Healthy sheep reproduce.
And so in this, I leave you with this thought. How deep is your love? I know you can hear the Bee Gees right now. <laughs> How deep is your love? Is it a shallow? Is it selfish? Is it committed? Is it trusting? Trusting the Lord that through relationship with his people, he is going to do wonders among us. And so wherever you're at, I'd encourage you to meditate on these things for a moment as I ask the team to come back. There's a... Oh, I left my bag in the seat. Mrs., is my bag there? I want to show you a book. Ayo gave me this book last week, actually. I'd already started. In fact, it was at the end of the, the, the um, message last week. And I'd already started on this trajectory, but I, I, I read this book. It's called Church Membership, Building Healthy Churches, Strapline. And it's um, by Jonathan Lehman. It's um, one of the Nine Marks series um, from the Nine Marks um, from Mark Deveron Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Um, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and it's called Church Membership. It is the best book on the issue that I've ever, ever seen. Brother breaks it down differently. And so if you have queries or questions, grab this book. And um, I'm sure it's going to be available online for order, all of the usual stockists. Absolutely banging book. And it, and it expands on and clarifies what I've tried to deal with in 60 minutes. But ultimately, God has called us to be a family. He's called us to be a holy house, living stones, solid, dependable, there, <laughs> not transient, not rolling stones, solid living stones. He's called us to be joint heirs, sharing in an inheritance together. He's called us to be a body, interconnected. He's called us to be his bride, committed, marriage being the picture. He's called us to be an army, Shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, sword to sword, keeping rank, marching forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even if you're in that place where you're kind of making up your mind whether or not South London is your church, I'm not saying that you have to make South London your church. We appreciate that you're God's sheep first and foremost, not ours. And so he will lead and guide you where he wants you to be. But prayerfully find that place where you're able to commit to be submitted to leadership in committed covenant relationship with the brethren even if they don't kind of look the way you would really like that don't matter we're all freaks right it's only for the grace of God Let's stand.
Lord, Heavenly Father, um, thank you, Lord, for having us. Thank you, Lord, for the way in which every single one of those one another's you display toward us. You care for us, Lord. You show hospitality toward us, Lord. You bear with us in love, forgiving us, Lord. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. And you have demonstrated this to us through Christ. The fact that you love us would commit to us to the point where you would have your own son killed for us, Father. That's crazy, Lord. That's nuts. That you would have your own son killed as the ultimate expression of your commitment to us, Lord. And yet, you ask of us, Lord, to make a commitment. You expect of us to make a commitment to one another that is easier to get out of than a mobile phone contract. Because anyone at any time can just walk away and say, okay, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like what's going on and go somewhere else and be committed there. However healthy or unhealthy that might be, depending on their reasons. There are good reasons, Lord, we know. But often there are excuses. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to be submitted to you that we might be a healthy church. Have your way, Lord, we pray. Be glorified among us, Lord. May the gospel truly be adorned. May it be just signposted, billboarded, Lord, among us. For the glory of your name, we pray. Amen.
Lord, we so see the meekness in your majesty. Woo, Lord. It's amazing. Humble King. And Lord, you know our frailties, Lord, and you know our weaknesses, and you know our frame that we are but dust, Lord. And we can do nothing apart from your grace, Lord. And yet we thank you, Lord, that you've given us your spirit. And you continue to pour out your grace on us, Lord. And you've said, Lord, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask. You'll give it liberally, Lord. You're generous. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have gone before us through the veil of death into the Holy of Holies, Lord. And your blood is sprinkled on the altar and it speaks on our behalf and you make intercession for us right now, Lord, at the right hand of the Father. Thank you, Lord, because we need it. We need you, Lord. It's only by the working of your power, Lord, that we can be anything near healthy, Lord. Help us. Help us, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with us all now and forevermore. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.